Well, it really helps if you can say that you have a track record with situations like this. So one way to define situations like this is, you know, you're not the first uh, like retail client we've worked with. You know, we've worked with a half dozen or more retail clients. So when you start stacking up experience by voluntarily focusing in a certain way, could be on a you know type of uh, industry vertical, could be in some other way, like, you know, we only do e-commerce or we only do, um, you know, membership community sites or something like that. <clears throat> Either way is is perfectly valid way to start stacking up experience. G'day, folks. Welcome to another episode of the WP Elevation podcast, the show where we help WordPress consultants just like you turn your creative passion into a profitable business. I'm your host, Troy Dean, and our feature guest this week is Philip Morgan from Philip Morgan Consulting in Northern California in the United States. His specialty is helping coders become consultants. So we're having a very similar conversation uh, with a slightly different segment of the market. Philip specializes in helping independent self-employed software developers become specialists and become consultants. This is a fantastic conversation. Uh, If you have been following our stuff for a while, you know that we talk about specialization, you know that we talk about productization, you know that we talk about becoming a consultant and asking clients, uh, you know, potentially uncomfortable questions rather than just taking an order and uh, and filling that order. Uh, it's really interesting to hear Philip talk about this from his perspective and from the audience that he serves. So I hope you've got your pens and paper ready or you're just, you know, having a nice walk along the beach somewhere and enjoying this conversation. Without further ado, let's go and meet Philip Morgan. This is the WP Elevation Podcast, helping WordPress consultants elevate. Just before we get into this episode of the podcast, I have a quick favor to ask. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on iTunes at wpelevation.com slash iTunes. Or if you're not an Apple user, you can get us on Stitcher Radio at wpelevation.com slash Stitcher. And please, if you are on iTunes, leave us a rating and a review. It really does help us come up in the search results and get the show in front of a wider audience. And we love your feedback and we read all of the reviews. Thanks in advance. Now let's get back to the show. G'day folks, Troy Dean here again on the WP Elevation podcast. We're live streaming this onto Facebook and this is our second intro because I forgot to hit record. My feature guest this week is Philip Morgan from Northern California. Philip Morgan, welcome to the program again. Thank you, Troy. Very happy to be here. Now, for those who missed it because I didn't hit record, what is the elevator pitch? Who is Philip Morgan and, and what do you do in a couple of sentences? I was worried I was going to bore you the first time. Now I'm sure I'm going to bore you <laughs> because it's the second time through. My name's Philip Morgan. I'm a marketing consultant. I help self-employed software developers. Well, for years now, it's been help them decide how to specialize in a way that amplifies their career. I've become very interested in this opportunity that some developers have to transform into something more like a consultant. And so that's currently my focus is is helping developers who want to make that transition do so. Awesome. Um, The obvious question is, why, how did you get into this? And why is this the thing that you've decided to devote your life and energy and resources to? Well, no one else was doing it. Um, There are people doing it for uh, marketing firms. There are people you know, providing this kind of insight for other types of businesses. I did not see anybody doing it for uh, self-employed software developers. 
And, you know, there's this interesting um, situation with developers where a lot of them have skills that are very highly valued, very in demand, which is great. But there's a kind of, um, it's not the typical feast-famine cycle. Mm. It's more of a um, five- to seven-year technology cycle that prevails. And <clears throat> and I, I see a lot of developers who, they ride a skill set through that five- to seven-year cycle. And then towards the end of it, um, they have a sort of oh-crap moment of, mm. um, what am I going to do now? Mm. Um, you know, PHP is not commanding the kind of rates it used to would be that would be one example i'm not here to pick on any particular type of developer but oh why not i mean give it to php <laughs> we do all the time we're wordpress people so we love sticking it to php it's always giving us grief or ruby on rails or any any kind of coding lang- i mean ruby on rails was massive when i first started out and it was like the the thing you had to be a ruby on rails developer and then very quickly it became you know node.js or or um, uh, React, or yeah, and I, I was just like, whoa, whoa, whoa! I can only speak two languages. I'm not learning four, you know. And yeah. That's that's when I bowed out of of developing for for that exact reason because I felt like my skill set was redundant and I wasn't about to go down a rabbit hole and learn something else. The the thing is, it's predictable. It, it happens. Um, you know, these platforms, the, the languages or platforms do reach maturity, and you can make a decent living. Uh, that's not really what I'm saying. What I'm saying is. When there's this inverted um, relationship between supply and demand that ha- tends to happen early on, uh, like React developers right now are just in a great position mm. because there's there's more demand for their skills than there is supply. Mm. That situation almost always flips and rectifies itself. Yeah, um, Those juicy rates attract people who have a lot of time on their hands and they can become very competent developers rather quickly. There's not really an information uh, barrier. There's very few barriers to entry. And so it flips and all of a sudden you're like, wow, I'm getting rate pushback or I'm not seeing the rates advertised that I used to. And so um, even though developers have really valuable skills, I hate to see that happen because it feels, and I'm curious if you felt this, Troy, if it feels a bit like reinventing yourself every five to seven years. 100%. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I I remember when, uh, I vividly remember when CSS preprocessors happened and I, you know, I mean, I'm a bit of a hack. I mean, sure, I wrote my very first content management system in Notepad Plus on an old Sony Vio laptop and it was in HTML and CSS and PHP and MySQL because they're all, you know, open source languages, fairly easy to learn. As you say, there was no very yeah. low barrier to entry except time. I had time on my hands. Um, and then the CSS preprocess happened. I was following Chris Coyer over at CSS Tricks and I'm like, wow, this is going to speed up my development process so much. It's I'm going to be so much more efficient if I just spend the next three months going down a rabbit hole to learn how to do it. And right. that's when I said I, I was at a fork in a road and I had to make a decision about whether I was going to become a continue to be a developer and become a really good developer or if I was going to do something else, which was uh, spend my time talking to clients and yeah. – um, you know, designing strategy. And I decided that that was, for me, that was more fun. Five years time, I would rather be designing strategy for clients rather than actually cutting code. So I actually drew a line in the sand, said to my business partner, I'm out, I'm done. I'm not coding anymore because I'm not going to reinvent myself again, you know, because this is an ever ending loop. I'm, I'm just like on a treadmill here, you know. How old were you when that happened? Um, I was 13. No, I'm kidding. I was, um, <laughs> I was, I was a late bloomer. So I would have been, um, 2007, I started 
uh, WordPress. So uh, 2000 and maybe five, I started uh, coding seriously. I mean, I'd mm-hmm. been mucking around in Flash ever, you know, before that, but um, an HTML and CSS since the late 90s, but really 2005. So maybe it was 2000 and I want to say like 2010 or 2011. So I would have been, mm-hmm. what does that make me, like 37, 38? Yeah. yeah. That's about the decade when I see uh, a lot of developers who are ready for something different. Yeah. So there's a pattern there. It's it's like, I. it's usually the second to fourth iteration, you know, of like, I just don't have it in me <laughs> to, yeah. to like, you know, re-up. Yeah. And you know what? I, I, I was hanging out in forums uh, to learn CSS pre-processing. And I vividly remember looking at all of the avatars of all the people leaving comments in the forums. And they were, I mean, respectfully, but they were all kids. They were all like 22 yeah. year olds. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I felt like an aging rock star who was like still trying to play the young person's game, you know? Yeah. And um, and at that time, I thought I should just employ these kids to do what they mm-hmm. do really well and actually grow yeah. a business and not code anymore. And that's kind of the decision I made. That's an interesting one. Um, yeah. So it's like that's that's the problem that interests me is like, what do you do next when you just don't want to do another round of skills based learning and you're looking for something different? Yeah. You know, one thing you said that's interesting that I think points to how you get out of that is you said you were interested in talking to clients and doing strategy. Mm. And, you know, I think of strategy in a couple different ways, but I think in the world of technology, you can think of it as how are we going to apply this to the business, whatever Mm. the technology is. Mm -hmm. It it doesn't, uh, you know, there's no, this question is not limited to one technology. It's whatever it is whether it's an ERP system or, you know, a website that's at the heart of a new uh, marketing initiative, or it just, it doesn't matter. The question of how is this going to integrate with the business is a critical question. And and I think that is start thinking about strategy. Yeah. And I think a lot of the, we get a lot of questions in our program about you know, discounting, like a lot of, all of our people are WordPress consultants. We call them WordPress consultants. And they're like, mm-hmm. well, you know, how do you compete with someone who's selling a you know, WordPress website for 1500 bucks and we're trying to get paid three grand? How do you compete? I'm like, listen, it's really simple. The people who are selling a website for 500 bucks, they're order takers, right? You place an order with them, they deliver what you've ordered and they give it back to you and they do not care at all whether it's successful Mm-hmm. Um, they just are filling an order that you've placed. The difference between you and them is you actually care about the success of what it is you're delivering to the client. And um, that's the, that, for me, that's the difference between a, a, you know, someone who's talking about strategy and someone who's just a, a coder for hire. Yeah. Yeah, there's, um, as soon as software, well, so easy because software is in a way, this art of abstraction. So it's so easy to think about, well, you know, if the code is good or if the design is good, the software is going to be successful. But, you know, that's, that's, that's a very limited view of the value of software. Um, I I don't know if you came across this uh, article recently, Atul Gawande talked about, um, he, he wrote the checklist man. It was an article in, I think the New Yorker, talking about, you know, some of the unanticipated consequences of uh, the hospital where he worked adopting Epic, which is a medical record system. And, you know, it struck me that so much of the impact of software is not 
the software itself. It's these second order consequences. Like, does it cause a doctor to have to take away their focus from the patient and look at a computer? Um, you know, it's stuff like that where that can deliver tremendous value. If if those if you're helping a client make those kind of decisions, it can be so incredibly valuable. Mm. And the truth is that most coders at some point in their in their journey get to a stage where they're starting to give that information to clients for free, right? Just based on their experience. Yeah, and you know, that's interesting to think about because uh, first of all, that means they're good people. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> But um, they're doing it out of a sense of obligation for managing those second-order effects of software. Uh, They have more experience thinking about these downstream consequences of a a new piece of technology often than their clients do. Mm. So they're in a better position to say, have you thought about this? Yeah. Um, You know, if we do this, then these things are going to happen. And that's that growth beyond just being a technician and just having a technical skill set. And it's it's just the the very beginning of starting to act like a consultant. So here's a curveball for you because uh, I come across this all the time with our members and it, and I solve this problem by just being a bit brash and a bit bold, right? But I would start to ask questions. I remember early on in my career when I was when I was like, the value is not in the semicolons and the curly brackets here. The value is in the questions that I'm asking. Mm-hmm. And right. some people would look at you like you were just being nosy. Like, right. why? Like, we're just hiring you to develop some code. Why are you asking these questions? And it can be right. a little bit intimidating as a as a developer when you're like, oh, they're just trying to put me back in my place, but I know they're going to screw this up if they keep going down this path because I've done this before and they haven't and I feel obliged to kind of wave a red flag here and say, Houston, I think we have a problem, but they're not listening. How do you, yeah. how do you assert yourself in a situation like that without being belligerent? Well, it really helps if you can say that you have a track record with situations like this. So one way to define situations like this is, you know, you're you're not the first uh, like retail client we've worked with. You know, we've worked with a half dozen or more retail clients. So when you start stacking up experience by voluntarily focusing in a certain way, could be on a, you know, type of uh, industry vertical, could be in some other way, like, you know, we only do e-commerce or we only do um, you know, membership community sites or something like that. Mm-hmm. Either way is is perfectly valid way to start stacking up experience. Now, I know this doesn't help those who haven't done that, but what I what I'm saying is that when you have done that, you start to be able to speak authoritatively without having to. You know, a military analogy would be pulling rank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, you don't yeah. have to uh, pull rank. It's it can be done in a more artful, fluid. Um, human way by saying, um, you know, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? Mm. At first, though, when you haven't stacked up that experience by focusing in some way, it is a real challenge. It's, um, and, and I think my best advice is is to be the person who, again, just says, have you thought about this? Or can you walk me through this? There's a really wonderful book on negotiation called Never Split the Difference by this guy, Chris Voss. Mm. And I recommend that book to all of my coaching clients because 
it so uh, wonderfully explains how in difficult situations you can be empathetic to the person you're trying to help. And I think that's a big key is is to basically say, I'm only, <laughs> you may not say this explicitly, but you're basically say, the only reason I'm asking these questions is, you know, I'm terrified that I'm going to waste a bunch of your money here. Yeah. And we do need the answers to these questions. You will find clients who have a sort of um, ready, fire, aim mentality where they're not um, wanting to invest the time or effort in planning. Mm. And, um, the, you know, the the sometimes that leads to you walking away from a project. Yeah, 100%. Because you, you just, you can see where it's going and they're not, the client doesn't have any flexibility about how they're approaching it and they, they really do want to do that ready, fire, aim thing. Yeah. So that, that can happen. Um, it's painful, especially when you feel like you need the work, but at the same time, uh, you know, the alternative I think is worse. Yeah, I agree. Um, I feel like also that the earlier you can get involved in a project, the more likelihood you've got of actually um, having an impact on the outcome. Uh, you know, typically speaking, developers might get pulled into a project when, you know, the UX has been done, the UI has been done, all this user testing has been done, there's all this research. They basically made up their mind what they want. They now just need someone to execute it and make it happen. And they don't want to spend a lot of time answering questions because they're afraid they're going to unravel a lot of the work they've done already. The truth is if the developer was was involved from day one, it would probably be a very different project right now because they would have that experience. So what's the – and I've, we find a lot of people in our space are um, rely on those third-party relationships for business. So they'll, they'll say, well, I get all my business from a local marketing agency who needs a developer, but they're also frustrated because – they never get invited into the early client meetings. And my advice is, well, that's the trade-off, unfortunately. Like if you're not prepared to leave the building and go and find your own clients, that's one of the trade-offs is you're inheriting someone else's relationship. And so you've got to, you've got to know your place, but try and add value without, you know, without pulling rank. I was never really diplomatic about that. Diplomacy is not my strength. <laughs> <laughs> I would just pull rank and tell people I thought they were stupid and here's why. But I would back it up with experience. Um, yeah. What are some of the things that developers can do in order to try and get into those relationships early on so that they're not just coming in at the tail end? I don't have any good news here. If you are out, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry to say that. Because uh, th this is how I started out. Uh, I bet money it's how you started out. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a lot of the, the folks in your program have started out the mm -hmm. same way. If you are outsourcing your business development, you're going to take what you get. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to have a lot of influence over where the project is in the sort of uh, project development pipeline when it when when it becomes an opportunity for yeah, you. Yeah, and those are definitely situations where um, you know again if you if you're brought in brought in for a staff augmentation role or you know hey we've designed this thing we just need you to code it up and and QA it and get it live you, you just don't have a lot of influence. Mm. So what you have to do is accept that. That's what you get. You get sort of leftovers when you outsource your business development to your network and just ask, you know, hope that people send you business or you have one of these partnerships, which is a little bit better, like partnering with a designer. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes they're going to sort of handle the project before it gets to the development phase. So I'm just kind of reiterating everything yeah, you've said, totally. but I, I'm framing it as those are leftovers. Yeah. Those are not the projects that 
you know, technology consultants get. And and I hate that word, but there's not a better label that I can think of. Go ahead. No, yeah, no, I just want to park here for a second because you've said it, you've dropped a phrase twice now that I haven't heard articulated like this before and I think it's gold. A lot of developers pick up work because marketing agencies or advertising agencies or software design houses are outsourcing the development of their products to software developers. But you've just flipped that on its head and said, if you are outsourcing your business development to a design agency or a software design house or a marketing agency or someone else who's doing the client front-facing work, then you basically inherit what you get. And that is a fantastic way of thinking about it because if you are not finding your own clients and building those relationships, that's exactly what you're doing. You are outsourcing your business development. I've never heard anyone articulate it like that before, and I'm totally going to steal that if that's okay. I'll give you credit, of course. <laughs> Please do. Yeah, and it's, I mean, in a way it's worse than the typical outsourcing relationship because you have no control over yeah. uh, how it's done. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's the bad news. Yeah. Um, the good news is that you can take control of it. It is possible. Um, and here's what I recommend. Um, first of all, I recommend that you start thinking about the the business impact of whatever it is you do. So if you write, you know, if you build, um, you just kind of survey everything you've ever done mm-hmm. and look at um, where was that impactful at a business level? Not where did I write great code? Not where was the project really stimulating and interesting for me personally? Those are things we want, but um, the thing that is most important here is where did I have business impact? Okay, let's say that it's, um, you know, you you look back and you see a couple of websites that really move the needle from a lead generation perspective. Mm-hmm. That's an easy example to go sure, with. It's yeah. by no means the only way to create business impact. No. But since we're talking about uh, websites here, um, I think it's it's a good example to go with. You start talking about yourself as someone who creates that result for clients. Mm. That's step one. Mm -hmm. Step two, you think about anything that upsets you because you feel like things are not being done right or there's a different, a better way to do things. So you, you know, search your feelings, young Skywalker. (laughs) You look for the things that are upsetting to you because those can often point to something uh, where you can develop an opinion. Mm. And if your opinion is consequential, if it's meaningful to the outcome of the project, then it can become a point of view. Mm-hmm. It can become you saying, this is how things should be done. Now, your opinion needs to resonate with the people who write checks at your clients. It can't be, you know, uh, <laughs> spaces versus tabs. I'm sorry. It yeah, just, that's right. you, you can have an opinion about that, but that's not going to be a point of view that resonates with a client. A point of view would be something like, um, you know, graphics and uh, layout are secondary to something else when it comes to lead generation. So you see how it ties into lead generation. Mm. It's an opinion, but you could probably back it up with experience or data yeah. or just reasoning. Yeah. I'm making some of this stuff yeah, up, of course. okay, yeah. but to, to, to illustrate the example. Um, and then you need to get this point of view in front of people. I'm doing the exact same thing I'm describing right here, right now. <laughs> okay, yeah. I have a point of view on yeah. this stuff, and I'm getting it in front of people who 
um, might care about that yeah. and might benefit from hearing it. Yeah. So excellent segue into my next question, because basically my two prong question was, you know, you and I both know that you need to, that the, the key to this is to specialize not become a generalist. I'm sitting here looking at uh, Seth Godin's latest book, This Is Marketing. We just gave a copy away. We're giving a copy away this morning on our live stream show. Seth Godin's been one of those men that's been talking about, and Zig Ziglar talking about, you know, better to be a meaningful specific than a wandering generality. They've been saying this for years. So specialising 100% is going to allow you to then focus on the kind of work that you want to do that has the impact on the kind of people that you want to work with. Um, my three point criteria for working out who the projects I want to work on is, is where did I have the most fun? Where did I, uh, have the most impact and where did I make profit? I mean, that's basically the yeah. three pronged criteria question though. Yeah. I'm a developer. I figured out my specialty is, um, helping, uh, uh, enterprise clients improve their efficiencies through really slick corporate intranets, right? Okay. That's Great. my specialty. I don't want to leave the building. I don't want to start a blog. I don't want to be on podcasts. I don't want to go to networking events. I don't want to be on Instagram. I hate LinkedIn. What do I do? How do I get clients? Well, um, you find the thing you hate the least. (laughs) Since you (laughs) appear to hate every form of lead generation that is effective. Now, I love them all, by the way, but I'm just giving you examples of (laughs) stories that we hear all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the pushback we get all the time is, I don't want to leave the house. I'm, you know, really happy behind the computer and I don't want to, you know, be on social media and I don't want to go to live events and I don't want to talk to people. I just want to do my work and, you know. If you can't show up in a place where the people you're trying to reach already are showing up, then your chances of reaching them are very low. There are rare situations where you can do things like you might be able to hire a lead generation company in the situation you just described, Troy, where you have that clear focus on, I think you said enterprise companies. That's clear enough. I mean, that's the sort of demographic like, okay, they've got to have between 500 and 50,000 employees. All of a sudden, you're starting to line up against uh, search filters that LinkedIn gives you. Mm. You don't like using LinkedIn? You can pay somebody else to do it. You know, there are companies that will do lead generation. If you have a relatively clear criteria and you have, you know, sort of value proposition, and what you just described is a value proposition. I can increase efficiency in this specific way if you meet these criteria. So you could do that. But really, I think we just have to be honest and say that you're not cut out to run a business if you're not prepared to invest in business development. Mm. You can you can go a surprisingly long time on luck and outsource yeah. your business development to your network and you know, do things like that. But if you're not willing to spend you know, 30%, 40% of your time doing business development, you are going to get the leftovers. Yeah. And um, I feel like that's, that's a kind of a time for tough love, I, yeah. I guess, when someone says that. Yeah. Now, it, within the range of human preferences, like I think we can find something that's a little bit of a head start for that person. Like, okay, you, uh, you really are super introverted, as am I. Um, but, you know, maybe writing is, is sort of your, your, the thing you, you hate the least. Okay, well, let's find a way to make that work for you. So... That's how I tend to approach that problem, yeah. and, and you definitely made that a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't well trying done. to set you up there. I was like literally just 
you know, and I'm sure you've heard it before as well from your students and your members is that they're just paralyzed by this fear of putting themselves out there and, you know, um, uh, and, and, you know, kind of like showing themselves off as an expert. I think there is a genuine fear that people have. We refer to it as the imposter syndrome, which is not a term we made up. It's been around for, for decades. Um, but I think a lot of people feel that like they, the, it, in fact, I think it, it's what holds a lot of people back from specializing is that yeah. fear that, you know, they're going to be seen as an expert and people are going to start to poke holes in their opinions and their theories. Can I say something about that? Please. That I have found can be an accelerant. So, you know, somebody's house burns down and, and the arson investigators are out there because they think someone burned it down on purpose. They're looking for an accelerant, right? Something that was used to make the fire spread more uh, yeah. quickly or, or rapidly. Fear, I have found, can be an accelerant mm. um, because you're going to be the best version of yourself when you're afraid of being criticized mm-hmm. or losing your stature or losing someone's respect, that's going to, that can bring out the best in you. And so I actually suggest that people do that, that they work at the edge of their expertise and they do so in public because it's, it functions as an accelerant. Now it's not easy, (laughs) but you know, if you want easy, then you, you're going to get basically what you've been getting. That's right. Uh, take, if, a, take, know, a job, take a job, work for an agency, get the leftovers. That's right. That, yeah. yeah. Um, Corey Hind, who's watching along on Facebook, says, it quotes, where did I have business impact? What a great question to ask. Yeah. And, you know, you have to look at that from your client's perspective. So um, sometimes that means, like, let me suggest a sort of, how do you start exploring that? Um, The first would be, maybe you have never asked a client, did that thing I built for you make a difference? (laughs) Because, I I mean, I'm just reflecting on my own career. Like, early on, I was afraid to ask questions like that. Mm. I don't know why I was afraid exactly, but it just, uh, some of it was, I just wasn't used to uh, having that kind of conversation with clients. Mm. So if you've never asked that, I suggest starting with that. It's, you know, you're not asking, hey, did, you know, did the work I did for you, was that the best thing since sliced bread? You're saying, how did it work out? You know, what what happened after that project was over? Mm. That could be a just a very simple starting point that starts to gradually increase your comfort with asking these questions. Um, and so that's my main tip is just look at it from the client's perspective. It's not how much did you enjoy the work. That doesn't matter. But you're first looking for client impact. Mm. Um, the other piece to this is uh, if, you know, if you're specializing, if you've worked out the kind of work that you enjoy doing and where you can have the most impact, that generally will lead to the most impactful work and the most rewarding work, but also, in my experience, the most profitable work. Uh, there's, then, there's then this concept of productizing because um, mm-hmm. one, one sure way to compete on price is to say that you're a developer, a software mm-hmm. developer or a you know, website developer or whatever it is. Um, how do you start the process? And obviously we haven't got time to unpack it all now, but how do you start the process of thinking about turning what it is you do into a, a, something that your customer can recognize as a product rather than a service, which they're going to pay by the hour? It, it really helps if you can do one of two things. One is like look for, again, the business impact because if if the work you do helps um, your clients make money, helps them save money, helps them do something that has measurable impact, it's going to be easier to 
um, get them thinking about the outcomes and not thinking about the details of you know constructing that those outcomes. So that, that's one thing you can do. The other thing you can do is um, you know think in terms of smaller components. So it's not uh, you know this big long multi-part thing. But just think in terms of like what, what's a smaller starting point for them, and then you also have to realize you can't productize everything. Some things you can. Um, generally, productization just leads to greater efficiency mm-hmm. and lower cost of sale. But not everything can be fit into that box. So those would be the two things I would start thinking about. Is um, Again, looking for impact, looking for moving the needle financially, that may give you some ideas about what can be productized. And then uh, the other is just um, you know, what, what's a smaller piece of, of a bigger thing that I'm already doing. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, it's a whole other conversation that uh, we could have. In fact, Matthew Rodella has just joined in as watching, and he's a gentleman who has taken uh, effectively building websites for IT service repair shops and turning that into a turnkey product where he basically built it once, spun it up on a network of sites and allows people to sign up and basically have their own hosted website. It's extremely low cost for him to do it because he's, he's kind of, you know, process, it's all driven by processes and, and automation scripts. It's much uh, easier and cheaper for the customer to buy it because he's not doing bespoke work. So he's used his development skills to productize what he was previously selling as a service. Um, yeah. and he's, he started a podcast to educate computer IT service repair shops about nice. online marketing and how they can grow their business with their website. And yeah, very clever man. And one of our students, I might add too. Uh, so Matthew Rodella, thank you for tuning in and, and watching the, the tail end of this. Um, Philip Morgan, I feel like I could sit here and talk to you about this for hours. We are definitely in the, in the same wheelhouse and, um, what you're saying is resonating with me and we're singing from the same hymn book. So, uh, thank you very much for joining us here on the show. For those people who want to know more about you and what it is you do and want to engage with you in some way, where's the best place for them to get in touch and reach out and get some of your, your content? I would point them to, uh, sign up for an email course that I just recently completed and it's called the coder to consultant email course. So there's a URL coder, the number two, not TO, but the number two consultant.com. Um, I, I take email marketing really seriously. So I email my list, uh, five days a week and that's, often the starting point for just all kinds of conversations with me. So I always answer questions that folks have. Um, Clients usually find out about me first through my email list or something like this where I'm uh, on someone's podcast. Anyway, go to coder2consultant.com, sign up there, and we could it could be the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Who knows? Awesome. Uh, that URL is up on the screen for those of you watching on Facebook. Coder, the number two, consultant.com. Um, if you're listening to this on your favorite podcatcher, we will put that link in the show notes, which will be at wpelevation.com slash Philip Morgan, all one word, all lowercase, and one L in the Philip, I believe. Is that right? Just well, That's right. There we go. Perfect. Boy, blame my parents for that. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Uh, this has been fabulous. Thank you very much for, I don't, I can't even remember how we connected, but I'm glad we did. And I'm glad you've been on the show. I know our audience are going to get a ton of value out of this. Uh, keep up the great work and I look forward to following you online and being a part of your journey. Thank you, Troy. Very glad to be here. 
Awesome. There you go, folks. That's how you finally record an episode of the WP Elevation podcast. Thanks for playing along. Uh, uh, usual um, things, go and uh, subscribe on iTunes, leave us a rating and a review. It does help us come up in the search results. And reach out to Philip at codertoconsultant.com. Sign up for his email course. I look forward to seeing you again on the podcast or on Silence is Golden, our live show that goes out Tuesday mornings at 10 o'clock Sydney time. Until then, I'm Troy Dean. Go Elevate. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Philip Morgan and that episode of the podcast as much as I did. Uh, please subscribe at iTunes, wpelevation.com slash iTunes. Leave us a rating and a review. It really does help us come up in the search results. And uh, get on over to Facebook at wpelevation.com slash Facebook and like us over there because we live stream the recording of these podcasts so you can actually catch them live on Facebook as we bring the guests live in on Skype. And as we record them, we've got multiple cameras set up and beautiful microphones Phones and Max is doing an amazing job producing the show with the lower thirds and the station logo and all that fancy pants stuff. Uh, so it's definitely worth checking out. And if you happen to ask a question while I'm shooting an episode of the podcast, I will ask the guest that question live on the show so you can be a part of the show. We also, of course, put out Silence is Golden every Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock Sydney time uh, over on our Facebook show. So get on over to wpelevation.com slash Facebook, like us over there and uh, get the updates. And you can also subscribe at YouTube, wpelevation.com slash YouTube. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can see video replays of the podcast, Silence is Golden, and also our how-to tutorial videos to help you become a better WordPress consultant. Look forward to your company again soon. Until then, my name's Troy Dean. Go Elevate. Go Elevate.